Hi, my name is Demola, a.k.a. Mr. Hustleomics, a.k.a. The Great Deity Da. I'd like to welcome you to the inaugural episode of the Hustleomics Way Hip Hop Business 101 podcast. In this podcast, we will show you the Hustleomics Way of doing business. Now, when I say the Hustleomics Way, I invented the word Hustleomics. I actually created this term in the year 2002 to define my hip hop approach to doing business. I started off doing Owner's Illustrated Magazine, um, literally off a flyer, um, going to the Funkmaster Flex car show, doing our own press passes, a variety of things. But it was taking a hip hop approach to the business field and I wound up creating a hip hop business magazine for Owner's Illustrated along with Hustlenomics, The Women's Issue, and Toys Electronics, Toys Nation, several other properties we were able to do. This inaugural episode will actually be a lecture that I gave on the whole Hustlenomics concept at Carnegie Mellon's University and their business school, the Tepper School of Business at the Schwartz Center for Entrepreneurship. They would introduce me, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. Uh, the, the normal things that we do at the, at the Schwartz Center, but this is very, very much a part of our universe and ecosystem. When people think about Carnegie Mellon, they often think of robots and artificial intelligence, right? And entrepreneurship is part high tech and high growth, but there's another part of entrepreneurship called the American dream, where it's small business ownership. And Damola's story is one that is fascinating to me. I grew up in the hip hop era, uh, so I, I've seen all this evolve, and I always kind of wondered, like, you know, you, you, you see the artists, you see the athletes, you see the flash, you see the dash, but there's a business there. And I always kind of like read articles about the business. And then fortunately, about two years ago, I met Demola through his son, Wally, uh, here at Carnegie Mellon. And he told me his story. And I said, oh my God, that's an amazing entrepreneurial crawl over glass to make something happen in a space that not a whole lot of people were focused on. And it's the story of not hip-hop the music and the art, hip-hop the business, right? How did this business evolve? And Demola is going to tell you the story about how he became the lead journalist to capture that, but then also became a participant in the evolution of the business of hip-hop. So everybody, if we give a great round of applause to well, thank you so very much, Dave, for the incredible introduction. Uh, welcome to the Hustlenomics Way. And when I talk about the Hustlenomics Way, we're talking about hip-hop plus business equals Hustlenomics. It's like, what is hip-hop economics? So before we even go through these slides, let me just, you know, and then why should I even be the one to tell the story? Right? So here is Little Wayne, you guys know Louisiana. We've done several covers for him. This was the first cover that T.I. got. Um, here's a cover with T.I. and Diddy. That's 50 Cent. This is Janelle Monet. This is Killer Mike from Run the Jewels. This is Outcast Big Boy. If you watch Love and Hip Hop, you'll see Little Scrappy. If you know about Dipset, this is Jim Jones. If you follow Texas music, you will know about Slim Thug, the boss of all bosses. Here was his first video. We actually did an extensive piece on him, and later on, you can actually come in and take a look at how we normally set up our magazines. 
Before our issues came out, what we used to do, being that it was a new concept, was we would have a mock layout for people to check out, people to buy advertising, and we took that into direct marketing. You're going to catch a lot of stuff here today, and pay attention because, as they say, the game is to be sold, not told, but today I'm going to tell it to you, so this is the sample. But it's not what you're going to see here today, outside of what you guys have online, not going to place anywhere else. This is exclusive. So, true story with Slim Thug, actually. When we started the magazine, we took a direct market and approach to it. So we had mixtapes, like what you see here. On the mixtape, we would have exclusive content from the artist. Not only exclusive content from the artist, but we also have excerpts of the interview. So it was sort of a way to create something viral. This is before social media. We're talking 2002, 2003, right? So he had a store in Houston, and he was one of the first people that decided to promote the magazine. And I was like, I was fascinated. I'm like, I'm in Houston, and this guy's already driving luxury cars that a lot of artists that aspired on TV, aspire to have, but I never heard of him. And he had an album that was like a mixtape with him and Lil Kiki, and it was like, Boss of All Bosses. So I was like, Slim Thug, keep eye out for him. The game, you guys know J.C. on Taylor, signed a G-Unit, and um, we got into business with him through 50 Cent. Um, he was actually legendary in bringing back the West Coast post-Snoop. So he was an artist that was a joint venture with Dr. Dre and 50 Cent. But to kick it off, we started this whole thing with a simple question. In 2000, Forbes magazine placed P. Diddy and Master P on a 40 under 40 list. On that list, you'll see people like Daniel Slider. A lot of people are billionaires now. And our question was, who was going to be Rap's first billionaire? Now, like David mentioned, he loved reading those stories. For me, I'd already been releasing music. I'd already done a lot of stuff, and I'll get into that. But for me, looking at Fortune and just getting a paragraph, I'm like, how does Master P become worth 293 million and how did Diddy become worth 293 million too? And hip hop at that time was only roughly slightly less than 13% of the market share. And it done 1.8 billion in sales. So if you turned on TV or you were watching video in the 90s, you see all the balling, the jets, the mansions. But how did that happen? What was going on? So for me, I was like, well, you needed to do that content. You needed to create something. This magazine was that. So I was like, well, nobody's doing that. I will do it. But first, we came up with a website in 2002. We went to the Funkmaster Flex Car Show. I, I wasn't a journalist. I was. I created my own press passes. Right here. Right? <laughs> All we had was 5,000 flyers. Self-made press passes that we made that morning at Kinko's. So <laughs> we weren't even we weren't on any journalist list. 
I made the website like right before the show, created our motif because what we had done, I was a member of the DC Chamber of Commerce. So you see this flyer here, was here. So we will have models who do networking events, business networking, we work with the Deltas, we work with the Urban League Young Professionals. But when I talk to people in the DC Chamber of Commerce, and at that time, XM was early stages, they, they literally told me I was a snake oil salesman because I was saying, there's this market. Before people are talking millennials, everything, I was like, there's this market that's going to dominate commerce. And then what you talking about? I'm talking to the president of Bell, of Bell Atlantic at that time. They're like, this guy's always trying to sell something. I was 23 years old. And I'm like, no, believe me. So I was like, well, they're not believing me. So you see this? This t-shirt here is this t-shirt here. This flyer here, we have models, you see a lot more of that. But if you can read this, it was like, on the illustrators of Urban Magazine that features the achievement lights of enterprise and entertainers, independent entertainment companies, owners, and small business owners. So this flyer here, which is this very first cover, this flyer here with a campaign, who will be Rap's first billionaire? Now Forbes is saying it. But we were doing this in 2002. Always emulated, but never duplicated. Who will be Rap's first billionaire? We had this flyer in August of 2002. In a year, I had this magazine. So I never worked for any other magazine. No experience other than doing like a couple of freelance journalistic stuff. But I just studied, put my own publication together, you could actually see it and the quality. So, now to the meat. Hustle Honest 101. So, how do you take a flyer, like what you guys saw? You're making your own press passes, you're gate crashing an auto show, you're running into celebrities, you know, you're just grabbing models, making your own shirts, showing up unannounced, like, we weren't even supposed to be there, and it's like, no, I'm press, and you sneak backstage, and there you are. DMX, Little Kim, everybody. So I had a strategy that I called Hustlenomics. People knew me as Hustle Man. Pretty much in D.C., I was known for putting out, for as far as getting the East Coast sound, D.C. is a go-go music town. So I sold my tapes hand-to-hand. The unfortunate story of Alton and, and in New Orleans, that was me. I made 40 tapes at the Million Man March in 1995, sold them by 12 noon. I worked for Chevy Chase Bank, actually, at that time. I was, like, doing some stuff, researching mortgages, working in finance, and I got a call that they didn't need me to come in on Monday anymore. And rent's doing two weeks. And I've been doing my music on the side. I've been doing that through college on the side. Parents weren't happy about that. But I was more fascinated by the business of hip hop. So while I was a student at Howard, I transferred from Syracuse to Howard. I did a marketing project where I interviewed Diddy and talked to him about Bad Boy Records. I was so fascinated by that and that just changed my life. I was like, this business. There's another slide later on, but we'll get more into that. But that brought the seeds of getting into the business. So I was like, I'm not going to come into the business 
as just an artist. I didn't want a record deal. I wanted a label deal. I brought one of my longtime friends and producers. We'll get into that, but I had an idea of branding, merchandising, and Diddy was like a mentor. He went to Howard, he was a promoter. We were doing these local events, so we looked up to him. But there was a strategy, that gate-crashing strategy, that getting next, getting in the room without an invitation, staying in the room because you prepare to get in the room. When you get into the room, you're so thorough with what you present. They were like, wow, we missed something. You should be here all along. Okay, so let's talk. What is it that you want to talk to us about? So let's go through this. Here's me with the mayor of Ottawa. Here's two chains. We playing pool. Here I am in the studio with just Blaze and Who Kid. Here I am with the brand director of Techniques. Here I am with the former CEO of Ford. Here I am with Maxine Waters. Here I am with the CEO of Waymo. If you're here in Pittsburgh, you do know about self-driving cars. Waymo is Google, and they're the ones doing that. Here I am with Nia Long. If you watched Roxanne Shante movie, where a Carnegie alum plays Roxanne Shante, Nia Long plays her mother. Here I am with Michael Bay. Here I am with Yo Gotti. <laughs> rake it up, rake it up, rake it up. <laughs> Here I am with Nicki Minaj. Yes, Nicki Minaj. Here I am with Forrest Whitaker, 50 Cent, Magic Johnson, Shaq, Master P, Funk Flex, Remy Martin, Bless the Dead, Pimp C, UGKR, Houston Legends. As far as for the South music, they're legends. I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing him, but I also interviewed Scarface. This picture is really special because they're in the studio and Scarface is reading this interview on me and I'm like, this is hip hop royalty right here. And they're reading Owners Illustrated in the studio. Here I am with Jay Mays, 2004, we had done our second, we had done the first issue and that was big, but the first automotive content we covered was a customizer named Unique Autosports. He sponsored us. We had our own truck. I had my own truck with TVs in the headrest, PlayStation, video. It was a moving, it was a moving store. We made mixtapes on the road, right? But he helped us set up our sound system. We came in knocking. Well, I wanted to get the automotive side of hip-hop lifestyle because the cars you drive has always been a critical aspect of hip-hop. The first person to do a major interview with us was the chief designer of Ford, which is Jay Mays. So here I am at the New York Auto Show in 2004, interviewing Jay Mays. Politics. Michael Steele, former lieutenant governor of Maryland. Here I am in the governor's office in Maryland. So it's like, okay, so you go from a flyer and snake oil salesman in D.C. And I'm like, okay, here I am in Annapolis. And not only am I in Annapolis, I wound up being on stage at a big event to talk about financial literacy as one of the panelists. And that's in another one of the slides. Here I am here. So I guess you can't see it, but you can see it there. So here I am on stage, so you see me here. And that hustle-nomics was what I used to get on stage with him and the governor and, the whole, and Russell Simmons and a whole bunch of celebrities to basically advocate about ownership, own your own destiny. Here I am with Lil Wayne, 
Wu-Tang, Jeezy came up with Trap to Die, which is a, a method of hustleomics. Ice-T, that's a really funny story. Ice-T actually got my magazine on MTV. So we were doing a piece on him, and he so loved what we were doing that while he was on Swiss Beats tour bus, he had the magazine with him, and MTV, and it was for actually another magazine, an automotive lifestyle magazine. So here he is talking about another magazine, but he had this issue on there. So MTV Crib shows Swiss Beats a little, and, and Ice-T reading owners. That part laid to actually what we wound up doing big with Hustlenomics, because we parlayed that relationship to him wanting us to do a pictorial spread on his wife. We did a DVD series, pictorial spread, and the relationship we established, the automobile we used in the spread for his wife, the Aston Martin, we actually purchased that. So we actually established a relationship. Owners Illustrated, uh, Hustlenomics Brands, we probably generated nine figures of revenue for partners, ourselves, whatever. We did, so like the Aston Martin, it's a hundred, almost $200,000 car, he buys on the lot. We partnered with Rolls Royce. They did over 10 million in sales to athletes because there wasn't a hip hop rock report. We were the hip hop rock report. And when you're interviewing creative directors, and at that time he was in charge of direct design for Land Rover, Aston Martin, Ford, their whole brand, Volvo, they had the credibility to be able to say, well, we know the intricate details of this. Again, hustleomics is how you're taking a flyer and that direct marketing, that hand-to-hand, -hand, but always prepared. So when you get that opportunity, you're ready to strike. And they might say, okay, give them an inch. So us actually getting on tour with 57 and them, they were like, well, you know what? Here's our tour schedule. You can do a couple dates. But I looked at the tour schedule, I was already on the road before 57 gave us a plug to jump on the road with them. I was already at the Kentucky Derby. I was already at Miami Beach Week. I was already at all the live urban events. So I'm like, here's an opportunity to go on tour with you. You don't need to pay my hotel. You don't need to give us none. We're going to create a way to finance being on the road touring for three months with 50 Cent and Jay-Z. Now, third day of the tour, I blow out my Patel attendant. So, I'm like incapacitated. I have no insurance. Go to the emergency room. All they can give you is some painkillers and an immobilizer. And you can't drive on painkillers. So I had to suck up the pain, keep the immobilizer, and then some of these slides will see me with a cane. Had team of models, I did the whole tour. That's hustlenomics, that hustle. Because in hip hop, there's an element that people will say is a street element or a hustler's element, but it's a mentality of life or death. For me, it was life or death. You have a truck with all this rap. You have all this merchandise. You've done this interview with all these celebrities on your first run. What's going to happen if you don't do the tour? Now I can sit at home, go through physical therapy, or I'm like, well, can I move? They were like, well, you can move. I'm like, well, if I have to move like this, then I'll move like this and say, hey, 
look, owners, hit, I'm, I'm hollering, and I'm moving like this, and we go hand in hand, and we showing people the book, the mock-up. Getting advertisers, getting people to jump in, doing a lot of special stuff. There's Sylvia Rome, who wound up being the biggest woman to be an executive in the music industry. That is Cool Herc. He gave me this t-shirt here. Cool Herc is the founder of hip-hop. When Cool Herc certified me, I felt like I arrived. That's the godfather of hip-hop. And he gave me this Melly Bell t-shirt with his own clothing line. That's me with Alan Allison, that's Russell Simmons, that's the chairman of the board of Daimler Benz. He did an exclusive feature with us. And this is what I was telling you all about. So, we were doing modeling, management, events prior to doing the magazine, but we trade our models. Before you could get a spread and even be featured on the truck, and a lot of them got featured on the truck or got promoted, you have to have an understanding of the concept of entrepreneurship and tell people, like you're a spokesperson. So you get out there, you have mixtapes, t-shirts, flyers. When people subscribe for one year, they get a mixtape. When they subscribe for two years, they get a mixtape, poster, and a uh, um, t-shirt. So, we had our truck on the tour, so here's the Ford Field, here's the truck, it was provocative. You had 50 Cent, you had a picture of a model with a gun, you had all these provocative things, but it was an attention grabber. People started taking pictures next to our truck. The models were wearing the cover. We made t-shirts of the exact cover. So people would get, would subscribe, put on the shirt to go to the concert, but they became walking billboards of Owners Illustrated. As you see, magazines, here's the T.I. Diddy. That was the whole concept. Here was the DC Chamber days where we'll do these networking events. They didn't really see the vision. So I had to take a more aggressive route, which is where you see us here. Straight to the streets, direct marketing, as you see here, here are people actually looking through the preview issues to get an idea what the concept was. We did a tour, we did a first press, just a thousand, sold out of the day in New York City. That got us a jump, so we had to do a repress of the magazine, which then got it to Tower Records, Books a Million, and went nationwide. And that was all from here. to here. But, what, so, we, we gay crash in these events, but before I started imagining what were we doing? So I said we do, this was actually Bless the Dead, Aaliyah's release party in DC, we got hired to bring models to do some promotional work. So I created a fashion line, Romantic Warrior Collection, RW Collection, but after Rockwear came out, I had to change that. Here's us at the Third Thursdays. I was doing music in DC, 
probably one of the most prolific underground hip-hop artists. Prior to me, there's a gentleman right there holding the camera from the Five Bros. Um, they came out before me. They had a vinyl record that had a green stick on it. We call that the green record. So he used to DJ. He DJs still. And they didn't put out their record. Like I said, 1995, Million Man March. I didn't have money to go to the studio. So what happened was, one of our producers that actually came to our hackathon here gave me a beat tape. I got another guy who DJed and gave me a mic. So you have to go live. Every song has to be created spontaneously. I had to freestyle an entire album because there's no takes. There's no, oh, messed up, let me do. No, one shot, do your rhymes, make your rhymes off the top of your head. And I was known for that because I will rhyme for like an hour. So that tape wound up selling out. And it's like, okay, you got to get it commercially viable now. So the next step was, how do you get this distributed? And that's where this life of death came from. In 1996, prior to my son being born, I released a record that went worldwide on vinyl, released my own EP off of pressing up those 40 tapes, making more, getting my own money, going tape to tape, pushing mixtapes, and getting people to get more East Coast acclimated in DC. Creative World Alchemist Productions. We build relationships with retail. So here I am at Tile Records, which wound up playing big with me actually getting the magazine. So I was able to see that, okay, you can get one media product in here. They also sell other media products. How do you leverage that? You also see the RW. You see the comic book. So now it's great that Black Panther is selling, but hip-hop mixing with music, I didn't put my picture on my records. I put my illustration and my comic book character on the records, and that's what people knew me as. And in fact, that's actually spurred a reawakening in my content because people are like, well, we don't know who this guy is, but he made great music. So this thing, he died, we gotta find him. Here I am with the five bros, and the baby there is my son. So here he was as a baby, and we had him. <laughs> we carried him around to the studio. You know, true stories. I would have my tapes in the stroller, and I'm pushing the stroller, <laughs> and it's like tapes, 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 and it's like, yeah, I gotta feed my son, support me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So that was before the magazine, but now, paid in full. So now let's talk about the business of hip-hop, now that I'm giving you a little background. So, Cool Herc is the godfather. And at the very beginning of hip-hop, economically, it was really about getting people together to enjoy. Like, you're bringing gangs, you're bringing people together from different backgrounds. In New York, in the Bronx. So here is the first part. Here is really like the birth of hip hop on record. August 11th, 1973. Here's him charging. Cool Herc here. Promote. In 1973, it was like, yeah, ladies of court, guys 50 Cent, come and enjoy, your, enjoy yourselves. Rock him, I feel, 
took hip hop to another economic level because culturally, he took it from simple rhymes and also brought the let's get money aesthetic. He was part of a crew of hustlers in New York called the Pay the Fool Posse. And he made a song called Pay the Fool. And it was so profound. And this is like 86, 87. The song was so profound, he only needed one verse. Then they remixed it for a seven minute extended version. And he's talking about hip hop, the environment, the harsh environment he's coming from. He's, I used to be a stick up kid, but now I think of all the devious things I did. But he says, I want to leave that alone and get paid in full. He wound up signing the first million dollar coins. He has a line in another one of his albums like, Ross sells a capsule of crack I don't have to. Rob Rapp signs million dollars contracts to. Sign a million dollar contract. Their second album, they had Rolls Royce in 88. Driving around in Rolls Royce in 88. People thought Rolls Royce was in the 90s. No. Rakim and them were doing that in 88. Paid in full. Here we are with Rakim. Did a feature with him and his son. So that's the inflection point. To me, the, one of the great, I've interviewed tons of people in business. And this high school dropout was one of the best business minds, is one of the best business minds I've ever seen. So when I say bulletproof, he took a very negative situation from when he was in the streets. He had clashes with a notorious gangster who's now in jail. This guy, Preem, Preem Team, they'd actually killed a cop. They've done a lot of bad things. And they wanted him dead. He got shot nine times. He survived. So he took the concept of, well, I'm bulletproof and created a whole marketing strategy in variety of industries. He literally became a billion dollar business by himself. So, video games. This video game here, and he had a bulletproof vest for the video game. Great marketing, right? <laughs> Two million copies, 120 million revenue. Back there, I have the G-Unit sneakers autographed by him. He sold about 4 million sneakers, $80, 320 million in revenue. He had his own clothing line. Did about 76 million in revenue from that. Came out with his own movie about his story, loosely based. 46 million in that, as you can see the clothing line here. Tours. Pretty much he's done over 100 million there. But I'm talking about just one year here. So he went on tour with Eminem, did about almost 24 million in sales there, ringtones. But there was some brilliant he did in this video game, product placement, and why he was so instrumental with the vitamin water being sold for 4.2 billion in Coca-Cola. Vitamin Ward was only doing 350 million in revenue. So how is Coca-Cola going to pay 3.2 billion? I mean 4.2 billion for something doing that little in revenue. He had the idea 
of integrated vitamin water into this game. So if you need it, so to get your health up in this video game, you have to find vitamin water. So you're going through underground New York looking for vitamin water. <laughs> and then you consume vitamin water and then you have more power in the game. Then in the tour, he had like a transformer type truck where people that would break down, have a huge billboard after the concert, it breaks down, go to the next show, and people have like eight ounce samples of vitamin water through this tour that did 22 million plus. All these brand extensions, here's his manager who's also Diddy's manager, watches, got in the jewelry. He also certified another project we did called Toys. But that's an inflection point because he was able to use this Hustlenomics mixtapes, which he gave away for free, and you see a lot of his mixtapes here, to create a buzz. He was like, well, I love the bootleggers because what they're doing is giving me free marketing. I'm using music to sell my brand. I'm introducing the world to G-Unit. And off of introducing the world to G-Unit, I have multiple things I could brand with G-Unit that could take a person who didn't graduate high school and generate more revenue than the guy who even put him on, which was Eminem, and be part of, an, of, of a venture which does 4.2 billion in sales. Now, one thing Carnegie Mellon is known for is the tech side. And he recently had a bankruptcy, and I feel like that's where the gap is. Because hip-hop has not even scratched the surface of his economic impact. Highly undervalued. People don't even understand what Hustlenomics is. I created the term. They don't understand these special aspects of it. Because if he was able to take the technology expertise of a Carnegie Mellon into his venture for headphones, then he wouldn't have lost 18 million fighting over hiring a company to do that. He had enough money to be able to build his own startup. But that's the gap. How do you take the cultural impact of hip hop, meld that with technology, and then now maximize the value? So I'll get more into that in a later slide. Now, technology, right? So hip hop and urban culture dominates technology. African Americans and Hispanics dominate social media. So on any given day, any random topic will trend, whether it's Black China's video, and it's like, who the hell is Black? Why is she trending topic on? It's because of hip hop. It's like, why is Black China trending? Oh, she has a child with Tiger, who's not even trending now, but hip-hop culture is able to amplify on technology platforms. So the most viewed video was Wiz Khalifa's local. He got 3.5 billion views. That video got surpassed with 5 billion views by a reggaeton song and Daddy Yankee. Here we are with Wiz, with Christ FCA. The thing about it though is that if you're generating 3.5 billion engagements and you're an entrepreneur, you should be at least worth $100 million. But hip hop artists are not fully integrated 
into the tech space as is people from the environments that hip hop is created or not. So when you have a lack of diversity, you have a gap where the full value of the culture and the full value of people that or create the culture is being missed with the lack of diversity. The diversity act angle or conversation only centers around, well, this is good social good, but to me it's a lot of lost economics there. Because if they're able to generate almost 10 billion impressions, and then Facebook's paying you pennies for these impressions. And I'm like, okay, well, YouTube was created by a handful of engineers. So why couldn't young engineers, like people you have here on campus, be supported, integrated into the hustleonomics method, and amplify that? So I'm actually trying that experiment with my son. <laughs> with David helping us a little. But so, but somebody in hip hop actually had that vision. Dave Dash. Prior to the iPod taking off, he came out with a concept of a rock box. He had all the Rockefeller Records music on there. That's Kanye, that's Jay-Z, that's State property. They had a bunch of artists on there. They did a feature on CBS, and they were like, "Well, we're a half a billion dollar revenue company." Unfortunately, him and Jay Z couldn't come out of that. So Jay Z's strategy at that time was to partner with Nokia on something called a black phone, which was just a branding deal. Dave Dash, however, had gotten this into CompUSA. He'd gotten that in the stores. And who knows what would have been if they could have actually leveraged what Jay-Z's now doing now with Tiger. He was thinking about that in 2004. And in 2004, the iPod had even, wasn't really registered. In fact, Apple's first foray to trying to get hardware done failed with AT&T. The Roker phone, it didn't do well. So a person who had Jay-Z and Kanye at a peak time in their careers had thought of coming out with hip hop hardware, doing a tech company, and that's one of the what ifs. But now we get to the excitement. It's like, okay, so a lot of times hip hop makes people uncomfortable. It's provocative, it's in your face, it's edgy. But a lot of that wouldn't have been possible without this guy. So we actually hung out with him. He had an album called As Nasty As They Wanna Be. And that album actually got banned. It was actually illegal to sell that album. Tipper Gore ran a whole campaign about indecency. This was in the 80s. He actually took this all the way to the Supreme Court for the First Amendment right to be able to have freedom of expression. And the whole concept is, if Hollywood could make these movies, hip hop artists could be, people in urban communities could make these movies, and could push the boundaries a little bit. He had an album, he ran that as a campaign ban in the USA, but he won. So the solution was putting a parental advisory sticker to warn people about that. But that sticker became a brand of cachet. It became a certification. So if you saw that sticker on the album, it's like, I need to get this. This is the real stuff. What he did actually paved the way for Nicki Minaj to be able to be the first woman hip-hop artist to sell over 100 million copies.
which is what we're talking about here. So, because Luke had already cleared the way, the Miami base, a lot of explicit content, using sexuality, pushing the boundaries, which is a core aspect of hip hop. It's in your face. And before it was just using sexuality, it was the dance, you up rocking, you pop locking, you, it's combative. You're battling. You're saying something to people. So before Nicki Minaj, there was Lil' Kim. And to promote her, they used these two images. Biggie Smalls wrote a number of her lyrics, but he had a way of branding her. He figured that they could break through with Lil' Kim. And Nicki Minaj took that blueprint and ran with it to a whole nother level. Now it's called breaking the internet. When they were doing this, there wasn't high-speed internet, there wasn't social media. So Nicki Minaj now could play on this and use that to generate over a billion views of the music video. Create awareness. She could use that now to promote liquor, to promote a lifestyle. It's edgy, but she claimed her own sexuality with a banner. And she's able to say, well, you know what? I'm taking my own agency. But that's because Luke had already paved the way to make people to at least give her the legal right to do it. Because a lot of what you see on social media, they say thoughts. There won't be no Instagram thoughts or that culture without hip hop. Which would mean that a lot of the engagement you see on a lot of the social media platforms wouldn't even exist. But being provocative is not only sexuality, NWA did their thing, but here's some reason. So here is Two Chains, and he had a very brilliant idea. He had an album called Pretty Girls Like Trap Music, and you have the like icon, right? So now he's maximizing. Social media, pretty girls like trap music. What's the trap? Trap is the hustleomics. is the hustler spot. He was arrested for selling cocaine while he was in high school. Though he's a very brilliant guy, yes, he has a college degree. But the hustler spot is the trap. But he turned that around. So here's a picture: the old school cut, the old school Chevy, the trap. But he turned that into an HIV testing center. So. A very big part of hip-hop that's different than other genres of music is you're actually telling a story and you have to be authentic. You're selling this hustle. You're selling your background. You're telling your narrative. And the whole way the product, the entire product, is a narrative. It's a narrative style of art. So it's like taking spoken word and people are like, well, I don't want to hear spoken word. You add a rhythm to it. You add a melody to it. You have different flows, different syncopations, different delivery. You add a whole lot of style to it. Then you add the content. And he was able to take that. Now, 2 Chains also accumulated over a billion views on YouTube. I talked to you guys a second, a while back ago, about Diddy. One thing that grabbed me to want to interview him was this campaign right here. To start Bad Boy, he actually got fired. 
He was actually working for Uptown promoting Mary J. Blige, and he got fired because he was too ambitious. So he got fired from Uptown Records and wound up getting his own deal, and he had two artists that were unknown. He had Craig Mack and Biggie Smalls. But he had a campaign that was brilliant. He was like, Big Mac. And here's this American product, the Big Mac, right? Special sauce. And he was like, no, I have the special sauce to the streets. So there was a hip-hop conference in Atlanta called How Can I Be Down? He had a tape. On one side had Biggie Smalls, five songs. The other side, five songs of Craig Mac. This is a Big Mac. You had, that was the meat. <laughs> and you had two buns, and you had a styrofoam, and they were handing this out in Atlanta. And I was this young artist trying to get on, and I'm like, wow, Big Mac. I don't need to talk to this guy. So that wound up catching on. Both albums wound up selling platinum. Unfortunately, both of these guys aren't there with us. Nowadays, he's doing Revolt TV, Breakfast Club, KUCDJMB by my truck, sold initial interest to Ron Burkle, a, 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 a rest, um, a grocer in California, he just did another deal to sell seven million to Sean John. He owns the Penguins. He owns the Penguins. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he actually gave them a little start. Then Jay Z did. I mean, Diddy did seventy million with that. I swear, Sean John jeans. So he's branched into so many things. We actually have an entire class just on him and his ventures, from Ciroc and everything. Hip-hop spread around them. It wasn't just 73 okay, you had the New York sound, but how about the Bay? And even, how about Silicon Valley? Earl Stevens, he was a master entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. Called him the mailman. He had an album called Federal. He actually started or kick-started the straight out the trunk. Meaning that you have your own CDs pressed up independently, Right? Because it's like, okay, so hip-hop is doing all these cultural things, but then how are you making the money? They have alternative distribution channels. And that distribution channel is wherever. For me, it was on the train, on the street, wherever you are. So people see, well, what's up with this man with the tape? This guy got the DVDs, he got the knapsack. That's an element or the evolution of the straight out the trunk approach. E-40 was able to take that straight out of the trunk approach and establish retail points all through Silicon Valley. Too Short also was able to do that. And the person you guys know the most from that era is MC Hammer, who did it to an, it, 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 into a high level. But what's special about E-40 is he's still relevant. So today now, we still have songs that are relevant. The Warriors Wings created their theme song. And he is a huge cultural icon in hip hop. But a big part of this is, and when I said that there's still a gap on hip hop being able to maximize the value it's not like there's not people making the attempt. So we posited a question over 15, almost 20 years ago, who would be the rapper's first billionaire? And now Forbes is now catching on. 
Jay-Z's very close. He's worth 900 million, and I'll probably say he's probably worth a billion. But he took 56 million, and a lot of people in tech could not understand why he would buy this failing Finnish company called Tidal and get all these celebrities to partner with them on what looked like a Ponzi scheme. Everybody gets like a percentage share and people don't want title. But he understood the value of his brand now. What he didn't get with what Dave Dash was doing earlier, he's got now. So he understood that he has a cultural impact and culture dictates commerce. So he had already forayed to doing deals with Samsung where he did a Magna Carta where they just pre-bought the album. That was unheard of. But he was like, Samsung needs my audience. My audience has smartphones. And they like the iPhone over the Samsung phone. So you want Samsung to be cool. And I also have athletes that are my friends, like Kevin Durant, like, you know, LeBron James. So you want them to also do things with you? Why don't you give us $5 million for one album? or 20 million for one album, which is what was just done with the 444. He's able to now leverage that to SoftBank, which is, a, which is backed by a Japanese entrepreneur, decides now to pump 200 million into title, giving it a $600 million valuation. So now, but the big thing about that is now he's partnered with Sprint. So now he's getting a telecom. So now he has, every Sprint customer now has an ability to get his platform and use that to get music. So now he's shifted from, if hip hop is now leaving the digital hard era, now he's going to the digital. And now this year, hip hop now surpasses, deals like that gets hip hop to surpass rock as the top genre. Hip hop now going from almost just slightly under 13% in 1999 and 2000, now is 25, almost 25% of music sales. And the market also increased by 12% last year. Diddy, we've talked about, Dr. Dre is now able to, just put his brand, just a branding deal. Has Apple given him $3.2 billion? Eminem, Drake is a more interesting story. And Nas, a rapper who at that time, as you see him here with Zuckerberg. So at this time when he's having meetings with Zuckerberg, Nas was going through a lot of financial problems. But Zuckerberg is a big fan of his music. So culture dictates commerce, right? So Zuckerberg, Anderson Horowitz, a huge VC firm, are great fans of Nas. He's having IRS problems but he's able to generate millions of dollars every year. So they help him create Queensbridge Ventures and say, well, you know what? For the price of a luxury car, you could really back some of these companies, and who knows? So one of those bets was Ring, and Ring sells to Amazon for a billion dollars. So, you know, you make a six-figure commitment, cheaper than the Rolls Royce that he owns, and you could be in on a deal worth a billion dollars. That's a touch point. There's also other artists now that are now catching on to that. 
Chameleonaire, who we've also featured, is also getting into that. He actually did an entrepreneur in residence with uh, Y Combinator. And now we're going, and that's the and that's where Hustlenomics is going next. We're just touching on that. And like I said, that's some of what I'm bringing to my son that this culture has a global impact. It has a global audience. People thought hip hop was just selling music. So in 2000, when they said it was just 12%, it generated 1.8 billion. No, it's a lifestyle culture. It's an advocacy culture. In a music video, you're seeing product advertisement. In a music video, you're also on the radio, you're also hearing product advertisement, product placement. You're talking about what brands you like. That's hustlenomics. Because now you create new ways to build awareness that never existed. Which gets us to this. Hip-hop is why Obama was able to win. In 2004, we worked with Diddy, and there was a campaign MTV did called um, Rock the Vote. It was to help John Kerry get the hip-hop generation. So we did a special feature with him, and during that feature, Diddy was able to meet a young politician from Chicago who blew the world open at that seminar. Barack Obama, the famous Boston speech. One of the famous things on this 2008 historical campaign was when he took the Jay-Z line and was like, no, I'm not sweating Hillary, I'm dust my shoulders off. He was a guy that was young enough that grew up in the hip-hop generation. Obama is a hip-hop, was the first hip-hop generation president. So, the hip-hop culture was able to embrace him. So you have people like Young Jeezy making songs called My President is Black. You have him throwing allusions to Jay-Z. But now, on a global stage, people are becoming aware of this young politician that nobody had heard of with a name Barack Hussein Obama. Without hip-hop, there would have not been no Barack. Because the youth movement that empowered him they got people ready to volunteer. A lot of his techniques was the same hustle knowledge. Sign up. Now you're taking the techniques we use to sell products to now get people engaged in civic action. Here I am in Beijing. Here I am in Belgium with fans. Here's a magazine on the newsstands in China. And it's like, hold up, the youth is confused because they're getting captivated by a pop. Here is Korea. Here is a trap rap group out of Japan. Here is my product in Japan. Here you see a store in Japan that's selling Ciroc. Here is some artists in Colombia. Here is a Korean artist that took a Wu-Tang song called Get Lifted and created a pop hit in Korea. And like I said, culture dictates commerce. So now hip-hop, the hip-hop generation is able to elect a president. Now the hip-hop generation is showing you that they can get the biggest superhero movie. Kendrick Lamar produced the soundtrack to Black Panther. But here is a bunch before Black Panther, 
Marvel was already using hip-hop to reintroduce their icons. Before their whole Marvel Cinematic Universe kicked off, and the biggest movie there was Iron Man, there was a hip-hop artist in Wu-Tang named Ghostface who used the Tony Stark's moniker to make that relevant. And you see Marvel taking advantage of that. But there was an artist, like I said, in the 90s that was doing that. You know? We were always ahead of our time. So now that you have gotten people into hip-hop culture, now people are more amenable to hear these stories. So now, now the writer of Black Panther, the comic book, Tanisi Coates actually went to school with me at Howard. The actor, <laughs> Chadwick, and he's also a Howard alum. <laughs> and he was also in Howard shortly after me. So he's just like a year younger than me. Older, yeah, a year younger than me. So culture dictates commerce. The culture from there, now that hip hop is understanding its cultural relevance, is able to amplify and get into other industries and be disruptive. And we've only hit the tip of the iceberg. And everybody's shocked, like, well, how is Black Panther selling that much? Or how is it going to these markets? But if you see a correlation with how are these markets accepting hip-hop culture, then you would understand it. Oh, wow. It's due. So I mentioned about straight out the trunk. And I also said, well, 50 Cent was able to build his brand with mixtapes. Well, here's how it's done. Bodegas, meaning you go to a gas station, they probably got, they, they might have some DVDs and some mixtapes. A clothing store, they might have some DVDs and some mixtapes. Liquor store, DVD and mixtapes. These are not, this is not Best Buy. Best Buy's even saying they're going to kill selling physical CDs. This is not Target. But as a publisher of media content, I could say that for hip-hop, it's very hard to get into those channels. When I went out there to a seminar to get my magazine and some of these channels, I was told there's a limit on how many ethnic titles we could have on our shelves at the same time. However, if you're willing to pay $30,000 for your shelf space, maybe we can work something out for you. So I spent six figures just to get my product to be viewed, for them to sell it, get them my money, and then tell me whether or not they sold through my product. If that was the only way I was able to distribute my product, I'd be done. So as you see here, we found alternative distribution outlets to sell. And these are the same alternative outlets because it's not only owners they sell, they sell everything. There's like an underground pipeline of where hip hop is distributed. And now that I've gone worldwide, Grow Around, a store in Japan is taking the same methods you will see. And there's stores here in Pittsburgh I've done business with. So what was cool about this mixtape here, though, is that we had the interview. You see pictures of the magazine. So it became a billboard. 
Right here is DJ Red Alert, a hip-hop icon, and Justo. They used to be a mixtape awards. Bless the dead. He was a hard worker like myself. Unfortunately, he fell asleep on the wheel and died. But he's certified. It's like, you know what? Owners Illustrated, Hustlenomics, they certified. These guys are in the streets. And have you seen a lot of our pictures and how we go proud about that? So that was a great honor for us. But this alternative, so you have provocative marketing, alternative distribution. Now you have to amplify that using technology. And now you're at a touch point where hip-hop culture is the most dominant popular culture. We're just scratching the surface. So that's my PowerPoint presentation. What I also brought along was some artifacts here. What I wanted for this presentation was for this to be like a museum. So I'm going to just walk around and just show you some of these stuff. So we took this, and what we would do is prior to this magazine coming out, we had a mock like this. And we, you know, I had my truck, videos playing, loud music. You're able to hear some of the interviews interwoven with exclusive freestyles from the artist. And then people were able to read that. So this was this is a battle-worn billboard that evolves to doing more stuff. And then now we have a startup on campus where my son's using this toys brand. But this toys brand was certified by 50 Cent, and you see a cover where he was holding it. But not only that, he'd actually, through his partnership with General Motors, at that time did a spread was. This is actually a project I did at Carnegie Mellon with the music department. So what I did was take some of our concepts that you see there. My son had a student org here, Toys Nation Gaming League, and we did an album with the music department. So we took students like yourselves and had them do a hip-hop jazz fusion album, and I took this album around the world. Got it on multiple formats, digitally, got it on vinyl, took that vinyl to Germany, Japan, worldwide, got that to techniques, and also created unique art for that. This t-shirt here is older than my son. <laughs> so when I started hitting the streets to get the vinyl pressed up, we also thought of merchandise from the very beginning. I didn't think of just, yeah, make a music album. In fact, I did not even promote my face. I promoted my brand. So we had t-shirts, and what touched my heart was I was in Europe a year ago, and a fan had me sign a shirt they had from like 20 years ago in Europe. Prior to doing the magazine, this was like in 1998. So to promote them, music, we thought of doing our own magazine. So we had something called Magistrates of Truth, so I had all the different divisions, all the different brands. We started creating our own stories, had the lyrics, and at that time I hadn't gotten any press clippings, so I was like, well, do I want But then I wanted to get a press clipping. So at that time, Gavin was huge, which was college radio. So we got right up in Gavin. 
I got write-ups overseas in Australia. I got write-ups in Japan. And I also put the lyrics out here in the book. And also introduce people to the comic book concept. Now we're actually doing action figures. So this is an action figure of the product. We actually have some of the music available on that. With my partner, Dan Miguel, we actually created a label. And we were like, we're rap's next superstars. So it's like the Five Bros, Private Eyes, different artists. And we took this direct market into the streets. Here are pictures. So here we are next door in the studio. Here we are in the basement of Hunt, doing our hackathons. But here I am with a student. But here's the brand director of techniques, which is the standard for turntables. So here she is holding a vinyl, and I gave her a copy of a project done with students at Carnegie Mellon in Berlin. So work that was done in Balakit Studio next door, now, through this hustle-nomics approach, is getting to brand directors of the standard of turntables. Here are people in Samcha, Korea, enjoying it. Here's record stores in Taipei. And he's holding the record from students at Carnegie Mellon. Here is this USB, as I said, and this is this union, biggest retailer in Tokyo. Here's that. So you see in this element, here is the biggest bookstore, Gilbert Joseph in Paris. They also got that project. I showed you pictures of me with Forrest Whitaker, and here's our next cover. So it's not only Forrest Whitaker, BMW, we have their CEO of one of their brands, um, Park Mobile, that's the connected car. We did another interview with Damon John. We have a dealership featured, so here's some of our stuff. And here's some cool stuff here. So here is Janelle Monet's very first magazine cover. Here's Janelle Monet. She was initially signed to Outcast, and we worked and did a feature on the whole team. Here is Killer Mike, who's also signed Outcast, and now you might know him as a member of Run the Jewels. Here is T.I.'s very first cover in 2004. So we gave him his very first national cover, and we did a whole feature on him and his whole organization. Here is 50 Cent, you've done a ton of stuff with him. And here is actually autographed sneakers from his G-Unit line with Reebok. And then you see some magazines here. So we went, but here to, to conclude, we went from crashing Funkmaster Flex's party in 2002 to having Ford sponsor us partnered with Funkmaster Flex to do a special edition of our magazine to promote a car Ford was doing. So this is quintessential hustleonomics. We crashed the party, but got certified and accepted. Owners Illustrated. So I'm open to any questions. Thank you. Any questions? Yes? Did you mention that there's a, a, a pretty big gap between the hip 
Yes. Well, what I put on that slide, right, was that there's a lack of equity. There's a lack of employment. So a lot of those bridges, first of all, you would say, well, Silicon Valley needs to start hiring more entrepreneurs from these markets because they have a cultural understanding of where they're coming from that's able to amplify these tools to a wider audience, right? A big part of the problem right now, and I would say that that even plays into what's going on with Facebook is, the market is maximized. You really need to now, every inch of middle class, low hanging fruit that you can get to get on your platforms, everybody has, you get a mobile device, you have it. But now, how do you amplify the people that you are not capturing in that net to get them in there and maximize that? That's the lack of diversity. So now you do tricks. Now you're taking data and trying to find out more ways to maximize profits out of that, rather than thinking, how do we amplify our message or amplify our utility? How do we come up with more features that will be amenable to that? And what I say is that how that gap bridges is some of what we're doing with my son, where you're taking hip hop culture and technology, and you create a student organization where people are coming together and creating ideas. At a hackathon. Next Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, there's an event going on where, Wally? Uh, Hunt Library. Hunt Library. Where I will be live streaming from Hong Kong while I'm at a tech conference taking a project that I've done now with artists from around the world. Miguel, Moves and Vibration will be there as a hip hop producer teaching people how to produce hip hop and collaborate with engineers on campus to see how do we take these tools and come up with ideas. I think that's how it's done. You have to have a campus where you're able to bring people from hip-hop culture, engineering background, open platform where you can create ideas and then create ventures. So we actually have a startup here in Tupper. We actually have a Project Olympus company, Toys Electronics. That's actually why I'm wearing the glasses, and then we actually have a smartwatch project we're doing, and we've had people make games and things for these props. It was like, not just wear the glasses and be cool, but this is actually a pair of smart glasses. What you hear right here is music from Cardi Canella's students. So I was able to go to factories in China and build software where work we've done here, from the music to things at the hackathon, are able to be integrated into a smartwatch platform. That's the answer. So now you see the owner's logo and it's the same logo. And then you have games on here. So here's a dice game. <coughs> so you could actually, so now you're taking hip hop culture. I used to get rich when I play CeeLo. But now you can play CeeLo on your watch. <laughs> is how you can do it. And people like David have been supportive. Right here on campus, that's actually going on. And a lot of people are not seeing that. I'm like, no, we actually bring in that. 
And what we're actually understanding is that because of my hustleomics, I'm taking hustleomics now to get to where products are being manufactured. So I'm now at the factories in China and in Asia. And now, not only, and it's like, okay, so the same approach where I learned how to do a magazine intrinsically, I'm taking that same concept to, because I'm a journalist, now I'm going to factories of major corporations. So I'm at Audi's factory. And I'm able to write about that, but I'm able to understand the process. How is Audi able to do this work here? Then I'm seeing what's going on in factories in China. Then I'm now going to see what's going on in factories in Korea. Now that knowledge is being able to be shared at a hackathon at Carnegie Mellon. And now you're able to bring hip hop culture to boost the awareness. I hope that answers your question. I mean, yeah, definitely. I, um, so, just to give you a little background from myself. Um, my name is Gus, by the way. I'm from Philly. Nice to meet you, Gus. I'm like, and I'll be in Philly tomorrow, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on Broad Street. I'll be on, frankly, yeah. yeah. I'm like in a pretty unique situation where I'm like, you know, I come from the streets, right? and I'm an engineer at a top tier school at Carnegie Mellon, so I kind of like understand both sides, right? You look at the demographics of Carnegie Mellon, where, you know, we have a lot of smart people, but, you know, people don't necessarily understand the culture. So what you're doing is you're saying, let's teach people the culture. They have the skill sets, but do you have, like, any um, recommendations for how we can get I love that you say that, right? So now let me give you a background. While I was hand-to-hand pushing the stroller, I was living in Ward 8 in D.C. My son was born in Ward 8 in D.C., 49th and J. Relatives have been killed. True story. Producers of mine before Miguel have been shot. He grew up at a costier, Ward in DC. I don't think Peter Thiel is coming out. I got my son to graduate high school at 15, and then he was on CNBC with Peter Thiel at 15 and talking to elite school deans. That's how synonymous. I didn't talk about that because this is really about owners, but now we're talking about what you said. So it's like, how do you break that? What was it that I did? So I exposed them to technology because some of what I was showing you guys was how we were already on the cutting edge of that, and also to culture, because he's getting this hip-hop awareness. Now, what we're doing now, at the auto show in D.C., we did a novel idea. We ran an 11-day workshop teaching children how to code and develop video games. But we ran a whole camp. So we had music production, coding, virtual reality. We have a whole initiative called Toy Steam where we're actually not just saying we're going to build this hardware, but we're actually going to build a pipeline so that more kids out of Ward 8, so it's not like my son's the random Ward 8 kid, where it's like 50% unemployment, high incarceration rate, and gentrification is not coming to Nananella, bro. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. It's a little too grimy for that. <laughs> right? But we were just there two weeks ago at a tennis center that was also supported by the Williams sisters, teaching 50 kids, exposing 50 kids to STEM. And they were engaged and they were asking questions. In fact, they were talking to me about Andrew Carnegie and Robert Barons and all sorts of theoretical concepts. And I'm like, right out here. You guys are like, okay, are you a rock baron or are you a titan of industry? Or, and I'm like, 
What a question to ask out here by East Capitol Street in Minnesota Avenue. So that's guys like yourself who are here, who come from the background. That's what I call my son. I'm like, it's not only about you. Your dad did a great job of giving you any opportunity you can have. Like all the socionomics, my main goal of doing that was so that my son would have any option he wanted to have. And I was successful in that. He got his degree from Carnegie Mellon, he has a great job. And he's able to do his startup on campus. But it's not about me or my son, it's like how about others? And our thing is this, it's not just okay, well, African American, no. You have to amplify the message where everybody's included. You have to create an economic system where it's equitable for everybody. So yes, you might be leading and you might have a seat at the table, but your ideas have to be wide enough where people from, so for this new album I'm doing, that I'm going to live stream into the hackathon, I went around the world, as I showed you with this project, and people I encountered that were musicians, I partnered with them. So now we did a global alliance album. So people from Europe, Asia, Latin America, here in America, for the first time I'm making an album that's pure hip-hop. White, black, brown, Hispanic, all united under this Hasunami's, this art form. And I think that that's, and that was part of what my son wanted to do. His friends are white. So I raised them in Ward A in D.C., then I took them to rural America. It's like, Demola, you're crazy. Like Southeast and Hagerstown, Maryland, it's like, it'll add. It's like Obama, heavy concentrated market, then 90% Obama market, and then 90% Trump market. How do you trend that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I mastered both. Because he graduated from a 90% Trump market. But he got started in a 90% Obama market. So I'm like, you need to be able to walk into any room. I, when you see all these people that I have, they're of all races and backgrounds. But my aesthetic is still hip-hop, urban, inner city. Yes? Yeah, so that's the challenge. Because a lot of times it's like, well, we're going to have a conversation but nobody else is going to be there. I'm like, how are you going to eat? You want to only reach 40-something or 50 million people? Or you want to get to... The fact is right now, on mobile technology, there is almost 4 billion people online on this planet. E-commerce is dominant. So when you talk about Amazon, they're actually going against titans like Alibaba. That's one of the top 10 largest corporations on the planet through e-commerce. So the conversation has to say, well, where is the reach of hip-hop? Where is technology that can solve a challenge? You have to be a utility. You have to think of, beyond my community, how can I be a utility that will reach all communities? Because as a utility, it's wide-reaching. And then, naturally, getting people into the culture is like marketing. It's like awareness. Any other questions? Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you. And that
that has been the very first episode of the Hustlenomics Way Hip Hop Business 101 podcast. Um, really fascinating conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. Please follow us at hustlenomics.com to get more content and also get back into the heritage of hustlenomics. You got to hustle, 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 hustlenomics, hustlenomics. You got to hustle, 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 hustlenomics, hustlenomics. Yeah.